We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Dawson here. I got Jeff Goodman with me. Hell no. John Fink. Are we still live? Till the 68 till I die. I'm sorry, man. I blacked out. Randolph Children. DJ Khaled. You know the big DJ Khaled guy? Hands grow up and in. Goodman needs to be fired all the time. Josh Pastor. You're going to beat people straight up. You know the deal. Drink responsibly tonight. I'll be drinking with you. Jarrell McNeil. From the bluest of the blue bloods to the smallest of the mid majors. This is Field of 68. After Dark. All right, welcome to the Field of 68 After Dark. I'm Jeff Goodman here with former Marquette star Jarrell McNeil and former Vassar scrub Rob Doster. We've got a huge show for you tonight. <laughs> Ton of games starting at noon. They're still ongoing. Colorado State may go down to Utah State tonight. Uh, it's been a busy Saturday to say the least. Uh, we'll tell you why Kentucky has a legit shot to go to the Final Four, how Kansas got some home cooking at Allen Fieldhouse tonight, why this North Carolina team is so much better than last year's, what's wrong with FAU, and who is the final unbeaten left standing. Uh, but let's start with the Blue Bloods. And North Carolina beat Clemson on the road, a ranked Clemson team. Kentucky won at Florida. Arizona blasted Utah. Kansas squeaked by TCU, and they got a little help from the uh, men in stripes. Uh, and Duke got past Notre Dame in South Bend. Robert Doster, who is the most impressive blue blood today? Uh, for me, this one is easy, and I think that it is the Kentucky Wildcats going uh, into the O-Dome. I know it's got a different name. I'm not going to refer to it by that name. It is, and it always will be the O-Dome. Um, and knocking off a talented Florida team, 87 to 85, um, I was I was so impressed with the way that that team was able to take punches and withstand and um, be able to come back and find a way to win. They were down by 11 at one point. Uh, in the first half, there was uh, a stretch in the second half where after Kentucky finally came back and took the lead, Florida immediately scored nine straight points, had an eight point lead with about, I think, 11 minutes left in the game. And they still found a way to come back to win. It was the first time that this group of young Kentucky freshmen went on the road to a real true road environment, playing a program in the SEC, uh, dealing with the kind of fan base and student section and loud road arena that you're going to get um, playing in that conference. And it didn't phase them at all. And, and Jarrell, I kind of feel like 
it's it, to me it's to the point where I think that these freshmen are too young to realize that that stuff is not supposed to be as easy as it was, right? Like take Aaron Bradshaw for example. I don't think he really played all that well tonight. He finished with 10 points and seven boards, had a couple steals, had a block, um, but he was just kind of there um, and he wasn't great. And then he comes up at the end of the game with two minutes left. He gets a block on layup that would have put Florida ahead with about a minute and 30 seconds left and comes out at the other end and bangs home a three that gave Kentucky a 79 to 76 lead and more or less uh, won the game for them in that moment. And uh, I just – I could not be more impressed with this young group. Like, you're not supposed to do this as a freshman. You're not supposed to do this in an era where you're going up against 23- and 24-year-olds, right? And I think the ability of this Kentucky coaching staff to uh, to develop the confidence, develop the self-belief, and embrace the talent that is on this roster – and instead of trying to force fit and, and, and do what Cal has always done, he's embraced what they have and how to do it. I just – I could not be more impressed with this Kentucky team right now. They're so much fun to watch. They're so easy to root for. And DJ Wagner, Jarrell, he was awesome tonight. Yep, absolutely. And um, and just and just going off exactly what you said, Rob, it's, it's been a little bit of a trial by fire for these guys. And uh, to be honest, I, and this is just speaking a little bit just from my own experience. Uh, when I was my freshman year at Marquette, we had like a really high, highly touted freshman class as well with uh, me, Dominique James, Wes Matthews. And uh, it was sort of the same thing. You know, we were guys that came in and we started every single game. Uh, right from the tip and uh, obviously it's a lot of pressure you go through growing pains we, we dropped some early games uh, at home that we probably weren't supposed to drop but as you uh, as you keep just kind of getting through the schedule and uh, keep your head down and keep working you know as you get halfway through that season even as a freshman you kind of lose that whole tag uh, you know the freshman thing or the freshman wall or the inexperienced thing these guys are getting experienced uh, on the fly here, and I think you hit it, uh, kind of hit the nail on the head for me because uh, the plays that Bradshaw made, man, down the stretch were huge for them. And I think he just gives them a, just an added dimension uh, with his size. He gives them a little bit more size inside. He gives them rim protection because he's able to block shots. And that last play, just being able to come down there, uh, Wagner was great all night, but, man, just the poise that he showed tonight, especially on a night with, uh, where Dillingham didn't really get it rolling as much as as we've been a two early on here in the season, he was really poised, man. He did a great job of taking care of the ball, staying under control, and he just made the right read. They tried to ice him there a little bit on the side or down the pick and roll, and uh, and he hit Bradshaw on a, on a nice little pocket pass there for him to step into and make a big three, man. And he made a, a big play prior to that on the other end with a huge block to, uh, for a game stealing uh, a game stealing uh, stop that they needed as well, too, man. But these guys are good. They're young. Antonio Reeves, I think he's just been a common force on that team. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a guy that does have experience and uh, and can provide them for a consistent guy to lean on night in, night out to get a bucket when they need it, man. And they got a good balance right there. I, I mean, outside of the, the crazy play that uh, Reed Shepard made at the end, you know, that didn't look like a team that was – comprised of so many, you know, highly touted young guys, you know. But outside of that, man, they did a great job of taking punches. That's like what said, freshmen are supposed to do. Yes, exactly yeah, what, what they're supposed to do. But Yeah. Reed Shepard, for the people that didn't see it, Reed Shepard in a, in a four-point game with about six seconds left, he fouled a dude shooting a three with .3 seconds left on the clock to put him on the free throw line with a chance to make two free throws, miss it, and get a tip in to tie the game, right? That's what freshmen are supposed to do. They're not supposed to make nine out of 11 free throws like Reed Shepard did. And, and to me, the most impressive part, Goodman, is that 
um, is that Robert Dillingham and Reed Shepard, did, they didn't play great, right? Like Reed Shepard's numbers look really good, but that's because he hit, I think he was seven for seven or seven for eight from the line in the last minute. He was a guy that they fouled every single time. So um, he made a bunch of free throws to make sure that his, his uh, he finished with 14 points, but he didn't play great. Robert Dillingham had six points, four turnovers. He only played 18 minutes. You didn't see him sulking on the bench. He was over there cheering everybody on. And um, I think, to me, that is the biggest thing about this group is that all of there, there's obviously a lot of egos on that roster, right? You come in as a five-star McDonald's All-American, top 10 prospect, top 15 prospect. You see your name on draft boards. And they've bought into this idea that, like, okay, there's going to be nights where Antonio Reeves is the guy. There's going to be nights where DJ Wagner is the one that's able to get, to get in the paint and make the plays. I'm Robert Dillingham. I might end up being a lottery pick, but it's okay if I go two for seven with four turnovers and don't play like the last eight minutes because my guy's got me and we're going to win. And a rising tide lifts all ships. I think Justin Edwards, he only played 18 minutes tonight. He was a guy that's projected as a top five pick coming in and has not played great this year, and I don't think you see him sulking. I still think you see him making plays out there. Now, he's not as good as we thought he was going to be. Um, but it was uh, – it was. I just thought it was so impressive what they did. And here, Goodman, I have something for you, right? This is where um, I, I want to talk about Vaulted real quick, and I want to see what you have to say about this. Vaulted is an app that allows you to participate in daily cash prize pools without an entry fee. It is a place you can store your own predictions forever. And by using the Vaulted Challenge feature, you can prove you're smarter – than your enemies like Jeff Goodman. So go download the Vaulted app. That's V-L-T-E-D to challenge your friends, store your pre uh, predictions, and join daily cash prize pools. Here's what I got, Goodman. Here's my challenge to you. I am saying that these Kentucky Wildcats are going to go out and win the SEC title. I think that they are the best team in the conference, and I think they're going to prove that to us as they are only going to get better this year. What say you, Sir Goodman? Listen, it's tough for me to argue with that right now. I mean, Texas A&M was a preseason favorite uh, they lost today. You know, Alabama, eh, they look good, but they don't really have a resume win. Arkansas looks terrible. Auburn looks like their best competition, along with maybe Tennessee right now. So I, I'm not going to – I love arguing with you. I, I don't I don't think I can argue with you. Uh, here's one final thought on Kentucky, since you two have dominated the conversation on Kentucky, which I don't really It's been like. nice. The fans Everybody, have loved it. We have the most knows. positive chat we've had in years. <laughs> Everybody knows I love Kentucky. No, no, seriously, two things. One, I was very concerned about their leadership because you had two guys that came in late in a sense, right? Trey Mitchell came in late from West Virginia after Bob Huggins was fired. Antonio Reeves came in late because he was checked out for much of the summer and planning on transferring and, and wasn't able to. So I wasn't sure how that would work. Both of those guys were great tonight. The other thing I'll say is there's nobody better at figuring out how to get freshmen locked in and accepting their roles than John Calipari. Okay, we can say what we want about him as an X's and O's guy and how antiquated his offense has been the last few years, and finally he's adapting. More than anything, this dude knows how to push the right buttons with players, and part of it is the track record, right, to be able to show these kids. Anthony Davis was a, you know, a, a guy who really gave up a lot when when they won a national title, what what was he like the fourth leading scorer or something on the team? Fifth, lead, it was yeah. something like that, right? So I, I think that's where Calipari thrives, and that's where he's thrived with this team, where with all these freshmen, really, again, Dillingham coming off the bench, Wagner not playing a lot of minutes one game, um, you know, Reed Shepard not playing as much as people like me think he should play. 
So I think that's a big part of why Kentucky has been so successful when we didn't think that was going to happen with such a young team playing against a bunch of 23, 24-year-olds around the country. All right, Kansas, number two in the country. They're at home against TCU, a team that put a whooping on them last year at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, but this TCU team honestly hadn't done a damn thing for the most part this year. They hadn't played anybody. Uh, I thought Kansas was going to roll past them. Uh, they didn't. It took a inadvertent elbow, and, and that was the difference in the game tonight. TCU was up 79-77. They were up two. They got the rebound. Uh, the kid, Ernest Uday, who was a Kansas player, transferred. It was a steal. It was a he stole a pass. Steal. Steal, and then he swings his elbow and catches Hunter Dickinson uh, in the uh, face. And and Hunter goes down uh, like a heavyweight fighter, goes down hard, and they end up calling a flagrant one. And Hunter goes to the line. He hits two free throws. Kansas gets the ball. DeWan Harris hits a runner with under a minute left to go up 81-79. TCU comes back down. They tie it, and they go to Hunter with three seconds left, and he ends up winning the game. He is 30-11. and But, Jarrell, the question I want to ask you is, these flagrant ones, I don't remember if they existed. Anything even close existed when you played. But these things are a little – I know by the letter of the law, it's got to be called a flagrant one. But, like, what do we do about this? Because it changed the game. Kansas should have lost this game. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's, it's a, it was an absolute travesty. And I sat there and obviously uh, I text you guys right after I saw it. But, man, if I was Jamie Dixon, uh, I would still be chasing those refs uh, okay. back to the locker room after the game. Man, it, it was absolutely unbelievable. It was, uh, it was uncalled for. And the craziest thing, just going through the steps of it all, was number one, they didn't call a foul on the play initially. Uh, TCU was up two points going the other way with an advantage break because, like you said, Hunter Dickinson, uh, you know, fell out like a, like a, like he got hit by uh, Macho Man Randy Savage uh, after the inadvertent shot to the chops. But, uh, you know, he caught, he, he caught one. It was clearly looking at the replay inadvertent. Uh, there's no there's no way, shape, or form that you can tell me you saw that replay and the ref was able to deem that something that that kid did intentionally. Uh, you know, it was a, it was coming after, I think I want to say it was after, it was an ATO, it was after the timeout play. They were drawing up a play to try to get to a duck in for Dickinson. Uh, and to be honest, it was a shitty play, and, and, and TCU did a really good job of defending it. And, uh, and the kid got a steal off of it. You know, it's a little bit of jostling down there, and, you know, he – accidentally kind of catches him in the mouth with his offhand as he's securing the steal and going the other way. So number one, they stopped play and stopped the four on five advantage break, which uh, essentially could have put TCU up four to five points. They go, they, they, that was the first mistake I felt like. And then they stop it. They go to the replay and they call it a flagrant one foul. That's a six point swing in the two point game for a team that's on the road. And like I said, it was, it was, it was visibly not intentional uh, you know, it was a physical game. It was a tough, hard fall game. I think it was just a really, it was a really bad ending, man, to what was a hard fall game. And I feel, you know, what I mean, TCU got hosed a little bit with this one, man. Uh, wasn't the best showing again from Kansas, and they've kind of been having this going for a while now. Uh, just the up and downs, everything they're doing hasn't hasn't been very impressive. But uh, I feel I feel bad for the uh, for the Frog Horns tonight. 
You have to, right, Rob? Goodman. You got to feel bad for Dixon. This is what you need yeah. going in there. It's a fog warning. <laughs> you know what's you know you know what's going to happen when you walk in that building. You're going to be playing eight on five, and and um, I, I look. College basketball is the sport that is the second most in the world, right, when it comes to having officials be swayed by home court environments. It just is what it is. Those are human beings out there. These are raucous environments. There's 10, 12, 14, 17,000 people, whatever what's it is. What's number one, El football? Europe, what's number one? European, European soccer. Soccer? Yeah, European soccer for yeah, sure. European, yeah. yeah, European soccer is the one that's swayed most by officials. But um, – but it's it's men's college basketball that's second. And it just it is what it is. And Kansas is one of the best home court environments in the country. They've won national titles. They have Bill Self on the sideline. He's intimidating. That place is intimidating. That fan base is intimidating. It is what it is. You're going in there knowing that that's what's going to end up happening. So you're not going to be surprised when it is. And to me, it, like this is just kind of – it's a little bit fluky. It's the downside of having replay review for everything. It's – gonna happen when we're trying to make sure we get every single call right i don't love it i think this has more to do with the way that replay is instituted in college basketball than it does with anything having to do with the officiating right like as soon as they go to the monitor and they see that they kind of have to call it i think that that is what the rule is i hate it i don't like it, it but it is what it, it is, is. It maybe we change it, it to yeah maybe maybe we change it to something where um coaches on on uh basketball two. how about staff, you don't get two yeah, fouls rob how about you don't get two free throws and the ball? Like it, it just completely changed the game. Yeah, or or it's something like you only get two challenges, right? We don't have to review every single time it goes out of bounds to see who the ball is and whether or not there's 10.3 seconds or 10.9 seconds left, right? If you are a coach, you get two challenges. I think that's the easiest way to do it moving forward so that, you know, maybe Kentucky uses a challenge there and they win, but um, it is what it is. I, I, I want to talk more about, where I'd say Kentucky, I meant Kansas there. Um, I'm going to talk about more or where Kansas is as a team here because win or lose, I think what we can all agree on is that Kansas has been playing with fire a little bit, right? Um, if you look at some of the wins that they have had this season, uh, they struggled at home a little bit against the UConn team that I think a lot of people thought um, was – uh, was not as good as them heading into that game, right? They struggled at Indiana. They did not play their best against Yale. And now they are playing a TCU team that hadn't really done anything before this, uh, and they probably should have lost the game. Um, if you look at where they are in a lot of the metrics, like right now, uh, Kansas in um, in Ken Palm's rankings is currently sitting at number 16. Uh, I, I want to know when we start questioning whether or not the close games that this team is finding a way to win um, is a result of them just being able to find a way to get it done. And I, look, they're going to come right. The, Johnny Furphy's going to develop. Nick Timberlake's going to develop. Jamar McDowell, someone's going to be able to step up into the, that, that off-guard spot. Or if this is something that is a little bit more concerning. Because I go back and forth. And I, I don't even, honestly, like I'm supposed to have takes here, guys. I don't even really know what my take is in this situation. Because I think that there's when you have a great point guard, when you have one of the best players in college basketball like Hunter Dickinson, and when you have Bill Self on the sideline, you're going to win more games uh, than other teams when it comes to getting down to that final possession, winning close games. You're just going to be able to eke it out more. But at the same time, it's like, okay, someone's going to catch fire against this team in a tournament and knock them out in the second round, right? I think that's kind of where I'm at with it at this point. They're probably going to win the Big 12, at least be right there with Houston. But I just – I'm having trouble talking myself into them – being able to make a deep run in March when they play with fire. It just feels like they're playing with their food a little bit, if that makes sense. Listen, I said that to you 
at the United Center, mm-hmm. right at the Champions Classic. They they won, and I was still like, you know what? They don't. You sometimes you need to see it in person. Again, on paper, we looked at Kansas and we were like, all right, are they one or two? Look, they got Hunter, they got Harris, they got McCullough, they got KJ, they got all this coming back. They don't have shooting, and, and tonight they had three dudes really. DeJuan Harris was not good until late in the game, right? It was all KJ. It was all and McCullough battled through an injury. Hunter, KJ, McCullough. Nobody else for the first 20 minutes. With, and again, they're good enough to win games in the Big 12, Jarrell, with those guys. Like Rob said, and I said this early, I think they could lose in the second round. Like, I, I don't see this as a Final Four, definitely not as a national title champion. And I know I can't believe I say this publicly because you could get burnt on this by Bill Self and Hunter Dickinson. I mean, it sounds ridiculous saying that, but I do feel pretty good about saying it. No, yeah, and and, and I'm spot on with you. I think it's, it's definitely the most unimpressive 13-1 team that I can remember <laughs> in some time. Like, they're winning games that uh, I guess they're supposed to win just based off of kind of what we had them coming into the season. Uh, but like you said, I think you hit it spot on really almost, I would say, over a month ago. They go through those lows where they really struggle to score the ball, uh, especially once teams kind of take away Dickinson. If they can't get those those deep, po- those deep post seals and post catches or opportunities to throw the ball down to him, they have long stretches where they can really struggle. And I, and I really do love uh, – I love DeJuan Harris' game. And at this point, I think he kind of just is who he is. We can't expect him to come out and just start being also aggre- uh, ultra-aggressive all of a sudden. But, uh, you know, they lack a little bit of perimeter playmaking and guys that can make shots consistently. And that's something that scares the hell out of me when you start talking about March Madness time. Are they going to be able to dig out of a hole down 15 versus an inferior opponent? I'm not sure because I'm not sure if they'll be able to make enough shots. And to be honest, even the teams that, that are that, that are going to play them close, you know, down the stretch, are they going to be able to come up with something besides being able to get a deep interior touch in the Hunter Dickinson where they're going to be able to flow and run offense? I think they're still figuring it out. Obviously, they're not doomed by any stretch of the imagine, uh, imagination. But right now, I would be on high alert in 13-1, uh, and one, but it doesn't feel great. Is is kind of the the sense that I'm getting from Kansas. It's not. It hasn't been an impressive thirteen and one start to the year. Can I just right, real I mean, quick my argue first, my, against my no, own point that I just made, Goodman? No, we're going. Uh, let me break. just argue real no, quick against my point. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. No, all right. Well, listen. The the only thing that I'll say is that you have you have like this championship winning coach. You have. One of the, what, like three best big guys in college basketball, maybe the best big guy not named Zach Eady in college basketball. And you do have sure. two guys that can go make a play. Like uh, Dewan Harris is a point guard, and Kevin McCuller is – uh, he might not be a point guard by definition, but he is a playmaker and a distributor that can get easy shots for other people. So, like, I know I just said all of the stuff about how I can't trust them, but they also have the stuff that with the formula where it just makes sense. And you know they're going to be able to guard. Like, I don't – I'm so confused about them. I don't have any read on Sorry, that. Can, I, I feel hey, like they could – You can go to sleep. You can go to sleep tonight thinking that they're going to be a second-round casualty, and you'll wake up tomorrow morning thinking they can win the whole thing. That's fine. Uh, all right. No, you know what I, I'm going to do? I'm going to go to appearance ever. $100 richer because I made a whole bunch of money betting their live line. If you ever have any doubts, <laughs> Nobody cares. Just say this. If you ever have any Nobody doubts, cares about you winning your first. 
No, listen, when you when, when Kansas is down, go to bet MGM and just bet the money line. Whenever they're losing at home and fall out on the field house, bet however much you want because they're going to find a way to get a win, man. Lock it in. There you go. Let's all get rich together. All right, next. I made my first appearance ever at Little John Coliseum today in Clemson. Carolina, number eight Carolina, took down the number 16 Clemson Tigers. I'm going to tell you next. The reason that nobody's talking about why this Carolina team is completely different than a year ago. What's going on, guys? Before we get back to the show, I need to let you all know about the Field of 68 Daily, an all-encompassing college basketball newsletter that arrives in your inbox, you guessed it, daily. For less than a dollar a week, you'll wake up every morning to more than 1,500 words detailing everything that you need to know to stay up to date on the world of college basketball. From the notable mid-major upsets, to the stars that are out injured, to the breakout performances that only our team of college basketball junkies watched. The Daily is edited and produced by Mike Miller, who spent more than two decades running NBC's digital written content, and is subscribed by more than half of the Division One coaching staffs, the biggest names in college basketball media, and the agents that work as power brokers in the sport. For just $50 for the year, you get access to the same information that the insiders get. And before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Field of 68 content, let me tell you guys about the Field of 68 merch store. Head over to fieldof68.shop for officially branded Field of 68 apparel. Whether you're supporting your favorite team in the student section or from the couch, there is no better way to gear up in the latest from the field of 68 the best thing i can say about our merch is the quality of the product anyone that has ever worn a t-shirt knows how frustrating it is when the neck gets all stretched out and the bottom of the shirt starts looking like the bottom of bell-bottom jeans and there's nothing worse than a hoodie that loses its snugness that makes it such a perfect way to stay warm during the cold winter weather whether you're shopping for yourself or for the college basketball fan in your life everything you need is at the field of 68.shop we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, welcome back. Field of 68 After Dark, Saturday night. I'm Jeff Goodman, joined by Jarrell McNeil, Rob Doster, and uh, we are presented by BetMGM. As I said, I went to Little John Coliseum, Clemson. I'm still here. Uh, first time ever. Great atmosphere today. And watch kind of a slugfest between North Carolina and Clemson. I thought it was going to be, and it was, up and down early. Teams weren't making shots, but they were they were moving early, and then it kind of slowed down. P.J. Hall did not have the greatest game. Joe Girard, they, they just couldn't make a shot. They were one for 18 from three, Clemson. They still stuck in the game, but Carolina ends up with its second straight road win. Okay? They beat Pitt at the Pete. Now they're coming to Clemson and kind of out-tough a, a Clemson team that's known for their toughness to some degree. So – why is this Carolina team so different to me than a year ago? You know, a lot of people are going to talk about, all right, Caleb Love, and, and it, it's worked out for both teams, right? Like Arizona, it's worked out for him. Rob will talk about how great Caleb Love uh, was tonight for Arizona. And it's worked out for Carolina because it, it was something that needed to happen, right? He needed to move on. They needed to move on from him. Uh, and they're much better in the final few minutes. We're seeing them win close games. And a lot of it is honestly because Caleb's not there because they're running offense now and they're going to the kind of the, the hot hand or the open hand. But here's the thing that people aren't talking about enough. And I talked to the players tonight about this, Harrison Ingram, Baycott, RJ. Um, they all lost last year. They were all guys who had losing tastes in their mouths from last year, whether it was Baycott and RJ because they were humbled whether it was Harrison Ingram, who was losing at Stanford, Cormac Ryan, who was losing at Notre Dame, Jalen Withers, who came over losing a ton from Louisville. All these guys were kind of labeled as losing players, certainly from what they did a year ago. And what they've all kind of figured out is the numbers, as they've gotten older, and they're all older for the most part, the numbers don't matter anymore that the winning is all that matters. Like sometimes you have to go through it to really understand it. You can say it all you want, but until you live it, and that's what I think Harrison Ingram has matured. And, and they all say that. They're all saying like, hey, this locker room is so strong. Hubert Davis told that to me, how much fun he's having with these guys. He doesn't have to be vocal in the huddles, Rob. He just kind of lets them almost coach this team. And Baycott and RJ are very quiet. They're not big personalities, which is kind of crazy for Armando. Um, but Ingram and Cormac have been the ones that kind of speak up the most in the huddles. And, and Hubert doesn't have to police the team. He doesn't have to do a whole hell of a lot. And uh, this team's fun to watch. And you can see their chemistry is really good, Rob. Yeah, you know what the biggest thing for me, and I agree with everything you just said, but the biggest thing for me is that they're also guarding this year, right? Like, that was, that was the knock on them last season. That was the question that we had about them coming in. How good was this team going to be defensively? When you go out and you add uh, a Cormac Ryan, who was not exactly known for his defense before, you bring in an Elliott Cadeau, uh, a, a reclassified point guard, to put him in the backcourt with R.J. Davis. Like, neither of those two guys are really known for their defense. Um, Armando Baycott, for as hard as he plays, like, you don't really sit there and say, yeah, that's going to be a guy that's going to uh, be as good as, like, a Donovan Klingon defending the rim or, like, a Ryan Kalkbrenner, right? But they are, right now, as we sit here, uh, number 16 on Kempom in adjusted defensive efficiency, right? Uh, they just beat a tough, 
physical, gritty Clemson team playing Clemson style, like on the road. Drill, I that's the biggest thing to me is the biggest single biggest takeaway that I had about this game is that was the opposite of what you would think a North Carolina team wants to do, right? And they went out and they won that game. And honestly, like it never really felt in like the last 10 minutes they were going to lose. Like that was their game. They went out there and they won it playing Clemson's game. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's one of the, one of the signs I think that you, uh, UNC this year is just a different team and it's a, it's a major, uh, cap tip moment to that locker room and those guys, because you could tell that they all are bought in on winning and not worrying about who's going to be the guy that gets to take the last shot or who's going to score 25 tonight, who averages what. They're uh, they're locked in on all – they got a group of guys, uh, some of them new additions to the transfer portal that probably have gotten their ass kicked enough to know, like, hey, man, winning isn't easy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bought in and I'm all in on that, man. It was just fun to see them play, like you said, Rob, just – kind of play Clemson style a little bit more, even though, granted, like uh, like Jeff said, Clemson couldn't throw it in the ocean tonight. Uh, Joe Girard uh, didn't give him much of any any help at all. Uh, he really struggled and it was one for 10 to finish from the field. And uh, and, I, and to be honest with you, I think this, the tipping point for this was the big guy tonight. Uh, Baycott was awesome. And uh, I feel like he, he really he really took advantage and won that matchup versus Hall. Uh, he kept him off balance all night. Uh, he wasn't able to really make a lot of outside shots because I'm sure that was a part of their game plan to kind of try to stretch the floor with him a little bit and get some easy open looks. Uh, and he was in foul trouble as well, too. And I think Baycott finished with something like 16 rebounds, man. So uh, mm -hmm. it was just great seeing them play a, a different variety of ways. R.J. Davis was good, but he wasn't great like we've come to see in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but they, they still were able to gut it out. They really guarded. They were locked in on getting stops, and they did enough to win that game in a tough environment on the road. And you know what else Carolina that is good? Now, we talked about this with Carolina. Carolina. But, well, yeah. We talked about this with Kentucky. Baycott, it, it doesn't, you know him better than I do, so I, I want you to speak to this. But, like, it doesn't seem like he cares that he's not the focal point. Like, he's not getting the ball thrown into him every single possession. And he's just like – all right, I'll go out there and I'll go get 16 rebounds. I'll end all these possessions. I think at one point he had like seven points and 15 boards, and then he got a couple down the stretch, and they were like, all right, it's closing time. Let's get the ball to the big fella. But he's he, he doesn't care. I don't. That, that's I think that's part of why they're so good this year. That's awesome. Armando's one of my favorite uh, players, and I know maybe I shouldn't say that. Like I, I know it's supposed to be objective, and I am objective, but you certainly, the more you see a, a player, the more you see a kid, it's not a kid anymore, uh, the more you're around him. I, I think he's very self-aware, and that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of players are not these days. But Mondo is super self-aware. And, and again, he'll say, like, I know I'm not a vocal leader. Like, I, I know I need to be a better leader. He still says that. Now, the one thing Brad Brunell told me, we were talking for a while after the game tonight, and – Brad even said to me, like, he looks much better defensively. He looks quicker. And if you remember, when I talked to Armando before the season, he said to me, listen, last year I didn't let my ankle heal the way I probably should have in the offseason because he was he was running around. Remember, they were doing some NIL stuff. They were taking advantage. All this stuff came to them so quickly that they didn't probably do what they should have done the offseason. This year, you're seeing a healthier Armando Baycott in, in body and mind, right? Body and mind, he, he's doing it. So 
They're 3-0 in the ACC for the first time since 2015-16, okay? They've helped, like you said, Rob, they've helped Pitt and Clemson to under 70 in back-to-back road games. Clemson mm-hmm. scored its season low in points tonight. Baycott did a great job on P.J. Hall. And, and P.J. Hall had an uncharacteristically bad game tonight. I mean, he missed two free throws at the end. That They might have given him a chance at, at the end there. Uh, but, again, I think Clemson's going to be fine at the end of the day. They're not going to have too many shooting nights like this. They're going to be fine. But, I, as I said a few nights ago, I think it's, it's Duke – uh, and Carolina, to me, that are still in that top tier uh, in the ACC. And Duke, listen, they, they didn't get an impressive win tonight. You know, they go to Notre Dame and South Bend uh, and barely beat uh, the Irish, who are young. And, you know, they're, they're not the most talented. They're not the deepest team in the world. But Mark Mitchell was awesome again. Like, he's been terrific over the last few weeks. 23 and 14, Jeremy Roach was good, while Filipowski and Proctor, the two guys that are first-round picks that we talked about all offseason, preseason All-Americans, they combined for seven points. They were two of 16 from the field. Flip had all seven. Proctor didn't score in 22 minutes tonight. So how, how concerned – are you concerned at all about Duke now, Jarrell, or are you – you know, it's just this one. It's a road game. I mean, Carolina looked good in the road game against a ranked team. Duke barely beats a team that I think is going to finish probably second to last in the ACC at the end of the day, only ahead of Louisville. Yeah, I'm not. I'm still not concerned yet because I think tonight even just was kind of a play on what their biggest strength is, is that they have depth. They do have depth, and they got a ton of guys that can step up and, uh, and come up with a big night. They showed it already. Uh, Mark Mitchell's playing out of his mind right now. And, I, and and to be honest, I think he's really one of the key pieces for Duke's success, even with uh, Filipowski being, you know, just kind of the heavy hitter, the guy that's supposed to be a double-double machine. What, uh, what Mitchell brings to that lineup and what he's able to do, and to be honest with you, I think he's a guy that's really just starting to scratch the surface kind of on what he can do offensively too. Uh, I got a chance to see him a little bit at the academy over the summer, and I was really impressed with him. But he's definitely a guy. He he, he provides that much-needed protection with Philip uh, with Filipowski on the floor at the four. Uh, he, he's getting better and improving constantly at shooting the ball from the outside. And he's a dog on the glass. He's a guy that's going to go in and uh, and get rebounds in space. He's a good defender. And, you know what I mean? He's a little bit more physical, in my opinion. So I think he's going to be a key of, what, uh, of everything that Duke needs going forward. For, but still, just with Proctor being out there, him and Filipowski having such a bad night, uh, you got other guys that can step up. McCain showed us what he's a- he's capable to do with Proctor being out these last couple games. He was on fire for a while. Uh, I still got no doubt about Caleb Love. I'm sure he'll get it going here for a minute. And you still got Roach, who I think is another guy, just to, uh, another one of those unsung guys who has – so much experience and can always create and get you a bucket uh, in, in, in clutch or crunch time situation. So, man, Duke is going to be fine. Them uh, UNC, and to be honest, I, I, I'll go with Clemson, too, are going to be right in the thick of things, I think, all the way through for the ACC. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about Duke at all. Um, you said it, you had a, one of the funniest uh, misspeaks I've heard yeah, in Caleb a while. Love. You said Caleb Love. <laughs> you meant Caleb Foster. <laughs> so i uh, just – yeah, that's, oh, yeah. I'm glad you talked. I'm uh, glad you caught it, Rob. 
Caleb Foster. Yeah, I, I do. I do want to say, like, I'm pick. not. Yeah, this this performance is not something that's going to worry me. I think that uh, Notre Dame is going to make life difficult for a bunch of teams. They can guard. Michael Shrewsbury is a good coach. And I think what we've seen the last three games since he lit his team up in that press conference is that they've been better. They blew out Virginia. They uh, they they could have beaten NC State, and, and they had a, a tough performance against I think it's just going to be ugly games at Notre Dame this season. So um, I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is – what's going to happen with Tyrese Proctor here, guys? Like, he, he came in and we thought he was going to be a guy that could have that breakout kind of a season. I might have led the charge on that. Goodman is probably going to call me out for that at some point. But he has not he been that guy. Games. He was scoreless tonight in 22 minutes in the second game back from the injury. Um, I was texting with one uh, coach in the ACC who just – I was asking him um, what he thought of Duke and what he thought of uh, of Proctor. And he's like, yeah, he's just kind of he's kind of out there. Right, he's a guy that is great in theory, but we've just never seen it at the level that we thought we were going to see it. And I think I've gotten to the point where I believe the best lineup that Duke can roll out there is the one with Jared McCain and Jeremy Roach. I think that they work together the best. Uh, McCain is the guy that's making all the shots. Jeremy Roach has proven that he can be um, a, a veteran point guard. You get a little bit of playmaking from Kyle Filipowski. You get a little bit of playmaking from Caleb Foster and. It feels like they've kind of built built a little bit of that rapport there where I just wonder how that's going to work, right? Like, I, I just – to me, that's my biggest, um, my biggest question there. But uh, when it comes to the challengers, I, I do think – like, I just want to throw out there that, that Wake is super talented. And I know Wake and Miami played and they had an overtime game. And, and um, I, I just think that both of those teams, to me, I don't think that they can win the ACC regular season title simply because I think that there are too many questions about what they are defensively. But I do think that both of those teams have enough firepower to kind of do what Miami did the last couple of years, right, where you get them in the tournament and these guards start cooking and these guys start making some shots. And Boopy Miller is a stud and has one of the best names in the history of the sport. Like, I, his name is – they call him Boopy, man. They call him Boopy on the broadcast. I'm all the way in on Boopy Miller. Um, I love Hunter Salas, what he's doing. Efton Reed is there now. They've won nine straight games. I think they're for real. Um, I think that once we get – what, what do you think, back, what do you Miami, think Mark View – what do you think Mark View's thinking watching Wake right now? I fucked up. <laughs> I think that's what I, think. I should. I should have played them both a little bit more, you know? Because yes. again, like it's. Listen, I'm with you. I think Wake is dangerous. Um, Steve Forbes has done a great job with the portal, and 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 he's certainly uh, doing it with this trio. But Efton Reed has changed them. He's the one that's completely changed them. All right, there are two teams today that ranked teams that lost to unranked teams. One was Marquette, who lost to, um, I have to say the name. I, I was going to try to get away without saying the name Seton Hall for the whole show because our producer, Dagan Hughes, went to um, that place in Newark, right? It's in Newark. Um, <laughs> that's what I see. Yeah. South Orange, Newark. It's the same. Thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, Marquette. Uh, ended up losing to the team from South Orange today. And the team from South Orange has won some big games. And I, I give Shaheen Holloway a ton of credit because, um, again, we've talked a little bit about his uh, his ability uh, to, to make the most out of a tough situation because he doesn't have a ton of NIL. And he's now knocked off three ranked teams in, in the Big East over the last few weeks. And uh, UConn, Providence, and now Marquette. 
we're not going to talk that much about the team from South Orange. We're going to talk about the team um, in Milwaukee, Marquette, Rob. And Tyler Kolick today did not have one of his Tyler Kolick type games. Actually, I'm going to start with Jarrell. Yeah, Terrell I was going to say, man, we got, we got the Marquette yeah. leading scorer here. And you're going to sit here and call I, I was going to go with, yeah, I, I was going to, you know, but yes, let, let's go with, let's go with Jarrell. And I ask you, Jarrell, what the hell's wrong with Marquette right now? Because I know it's a road game in, in the Big East, but like Seton Hall, and I know they've won some good games, but Marquette should be winning this game. If, if you're talking about them as a Final Four contender, they should win this game, shouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think they should. And to be honest with you, um, it was a game that was there for them to win. Uh, they didn't make quite enough plays uh, throughout the course of the game. But uh, but just being honest with you, uh, Marquette is a – they're a different kind of team. They're, they're really good. We've been riding high. We got a ton of our, of our nucleus back this year. But, uh, you know, just watching over the last couple of years – it's kind of a strange dynamic because I feel like um, they they still have a very thin margin for error. Like they have a handful of guys who really need to play well for them to win consistently against Big East opponents uh, night in and night out. And uh, granted, tonight TK didn't play great. Uh, you got to tip your hat to Shaheen Holloway. I think they did a really good job uh, guarding ball screens tonight. Uh, and, and just scheming some things up to try to take away some easy looks for Kolick and make some of these other guys beat him. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, I think that's kind of becoming a, a growing trend. I feel like Providence did something similar, but it wasn't the exact same thing. They kind of just forced him into playing almost one-on-one -on -one and tried to stay home and take away a lot of his passing options. And, you know, he played well enough. He scored points and things like that. But it's just different ways that people are going to try to attack them. But the number one thing for me uh, is just this, and, and I guess this is just kind of my pet peeve about it, is, uh, you know, physicality is the key word with them. Well, they, they, mm -hmm. they struggle with teams that are really, really physical. And Seton Hall isn't a team that's going to wow you with their skill set and their talent and their outside shooting ability. Granted, uh, the one kid made four or five, I think, from the three tonight, but he was really the only one that made more than one three. But those guys are big, they're strong, they're physical, and, they, and it was a grown man's game tonight. Those guys were putting their heads down and they were driving until they felt contact and somebody and somebody stopped them with their body. And then once they did that, they kind of got it about 10 to 12 feet away from the basket and they played ball off of it. And I feel like more and more, that's kind of what Marquette struggles with. We don't have the most physical or the most physically imposing guards in the world. We're not the biggest team in the world outside of Oso. Uh, I think Shaka did do a good job because I think he's he's going to have to do this. He's going to have to go to that too big lineup and kind of put Ben Gold at the four a little bit more when uh when, when we're kind of outmatched on the size of the physicality standpoint just to give us a little bit more size to help with the rebounding. But, you know, at the end of the day, the guards are going to have to hold up. Chase Ross went out tonight, and to be honest, He's the most, probably the most physically uh, physically imposing and athletic guard that we have on our team. So that was a big that was a big miss too. He's the one guy where you don't worry about a guy 
bumping and grinding him all the way from the free throw line down to two feet in front of the basket and just turning around and scoring on it. Uh, he's the guy. He's the one guy we can put in our lineup that you don't have to worry about that. But, you know, Marquette is going to be okay. They're going to get things back going and everything like that. But you got to tip your hat Are to Seton Hall, man. He has been good. I'm still in. I'm still in, Jeff. You're a Final Four contender. You are. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. I'm still in. But everything's got to break right for them. That's what I'll say is, like, Marquette's going to need the right matchups. Like you said, you know, Seton Hall's not a good matchup for, for Marquette. They're not, especially on the road. They're, they're just not. All right, Rob, let's, let's move on to the other, the other team, ranked team, that we loved. We were down in Boca, and we loved FAU. We loved them from last year when they went to the Final Four, and they had a hiccup early in the season against Bryant. But, you know, once we saw them a couple times in Boca, we felt like, they were kind of back, right? Janelle Davis was awesome. Elijah Martin was great. Vlad Golden was great. Maybe not all together, but we looked at them and we were like, man, these guys got it again. They got it back. And then now they've lost two of their last three. They lose at Florida Gulf Coast, who's absolutely uh, kind of terrible this year. They're, they're like 250 in the net. And then tonight, another slow start. And they lose to Charlotte. And Nelly gets 20. Nick Boyd was great, but they struggled. Why? The slow starts are starting to kill them, right? Like the, I think the last three games uh, that they've lost, they've been down by double figures in the first half. Uh, it was 19 to four before they decided to wake up tonight. And the one thing that is different now than what they've ever dealt with before is they are the storm the court game. When they lost at Florida Gulf Coast, the court got stormed on them. When they lost tonight at Charlotte, the court got stormed on them. Every time that they take the floor from now until the rest of the season, they are going to be that team's biggest game of the year, right? That is their Super Bowl. When you are going up and you're going to play Tulane on the road, Tulane has to beat FAU and they have to beat Memphis to have any chance to get in the NCAA tournament. And most of those teams probably don't really have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament. They are playing to be able to say they beat the team that made it to the Final Four. They beat the team that has Penny Hardaway as the head coach. And I don't know if those guys at Florida Atlantic have experienced that before. They probably got it a little bit last season, but you got to remember last season they were playing in a conference USA that had North Texas that had won games in the NCAA tournament. And that had UAB, who had uh, who had um, Jelly um, blanking on his name, um, and and was had, had won uh, Walker. Jelly Walker and Jelly had won um, won conference titles before, right? So it wasn't just them in that league, but now they are the high profile team. Like, and it's probably us that has helped uh, make this be as big of a thing as it is, right? So sure. they have to be prepared for the fact that everybody that they play are circling that game on the calendar, especially when it's on the road. That is when you're going to have the sellouts. That is when you're going to have this, like the 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 home arenas doing these special things where it's like, we're going to have $2 beer night, or we're going to make sure that we can get as many students in as possible, or we're going to have tailgates beforehand to make sure that all these kids that are showing up are as drunk and as loud and as obnoxious as possible. Like You are every team's Super Bowl. You are the storm of the court game. You have to be ready for that. And I don't know if these guys have been ready for that in those moments. And I think it's pretty clear. They've been down big in all of these games, right? They outscored Charlotte by 15 points after the first, like, six minutes tonight. That's probably what you should expect. That's about what they were favoring for this game. But they weren't ready when they got from the – they weren't ready from the jump. That's the problem to me, Jarrell. Yep, I completely agree. And I think it's uh, it's kind of been a tale of two teams because – 
you know, obviously they scheduled a really crazy and a really tough non-conference schedule this year. And uh, you got you to gotta give uh, Coach May credit for that as well, too. But it seems like they're, they're really showing up for those big games. Uh, you know what I mean? And they're playing all of these big games really well on the big stage. Like, they're, they're getting up for those games because I think those games seem to be a little bit closer to that uh, – that March Madness feel for them that they can kind of they can kind of sink their teeth in a little bit, but it's been a little bit of a drag trying to get up for some of these other conference games. And like you said, Rob, you hit it on the head. They're the hunted now, man. You know, every team is going to be chopping at the bit and coming up with all kind of specials and whiteouts and blackouts with the fans and all that type of stuff every time they get in town. And uh, you know, but it's an older team, so they should be prepared and and, and ready, ready and willing to kind of take that on a lot better than they have been, but, uh, you know, we'll see because it's not going to stop here, obviously, outside of Memphis, but, you know, it's going to be rolling like that for, for the most part throughout their conference season for these guys. Well, they're fortunate they got that double overtime win against Arizona in Vegas because if they didn't get that, the margin for Big error one. would be even smaller in their league right now. You know, the question is going to be how many more league setbacks can they afford to take before they have to win their conference tournament? Well, we've only got one unbeaten left, and that's the Houston Cougars. Two teams went down, one James Madison. Now we'll talk on the other side of the break. How many more games can they afford to lose in order to still be an at-large team? As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68, each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When crossing state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, Parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back. Field of 68 After Dark. I'm Jeff Goodman here with Jarrell McNeil, here with Rob Doster. We're presented by BetMGM. And uh, we started the day with three unbeatens. We now have one team left standing, the Houston Cougars, Kelvin Sampson. Uh, if you had told anybody that 10 years ago, they wouldn't have believed it. Uh, what he's built is nothing short of incredible. James Madison loses today to Southern Miss. Bello is back, Andre Curbelo. Uh, Ole Miss loses at Tennessee. And I, I start with, with you, Jarrell. Uh, Houston Cougars. They're the last last unbeaten left. Are they the best team in the country? Where where do they stack up with some of these other really good teams? I think I don't think that they're the best team in the country, but I do think they are the team that has easily found their identity the quickest. And they play exactly how a Calvin Sampson team uh, how you think they will play. Uh, and, and they seem to have all the new guys that they've added this year have completely balled in. And uh, to be honest with you, they haven't played a ton of really tough games just yet. So obviously I think in the future here coming down as we get through, especially with them being in the Big 12 now, we'll get a better feel for exactly how good Houston is, man. But I wouldn't count them out at all. They're probably the least talked about really good team in the country right now. And, uh, and like I said, something that has to do with their schedule. But, man, all you can do is play the games on your schedule. And right now they are handling business. They are rolling. And they are playing tough and gritty defense. And they and they seem to have kind of shored up a little bit from years in the past where, uh, you know, outside shooting and offense has become a little bit of a problem. And they're not completely fixed, but they got a little bit of help with guys like LJ Cry and things like that. But I really like Houston, man. I think uh, Kelvin Sampson has to be on the short list for coach of the year, right? Yeah, well, the one thing you can do if you're Kelvin Sampson is schedule uh, games that are a little bit tougher than what he did. Their best wins right now are Utah, <laughs> Dayton, Xavier, and Texas A&M, who are good. And like to his credit, people thought that Xavier and Texas A&M would be better than they are, but that's not exactly yeah. uh, a murderer's role when it comes to Houston. I'm still saying that it's Purdue and everybody else in college basketball right now. Yeah, I think you're probably right at this point. All right, uh, Ole Miss, Rob. They, they went to Knoxville today, and they got smacked. They, they hung in there for a little while. It was six late in the first half, and then uh, Tennessee hit a huge bucket right at the buzzer to go up nine, and then the second half they just absolutely boat raced uh, Chris Beard and, and, and the Rebels. Um, Ole Miss, are they for real? I mean, they play, Beard always plays kind of a weak, for the most part, non-conference. He'll play a couple tough games. There wasn't a lot there this year. And I think with a brand new team and some guys that he didn't know if he'd have available or not. Now he's got Musa Cisse for a couple of weeks, Brandon Murray about a week or so. Um, do you feel like this Ole Miss team is where are they in the pecking order of the SEC? Down there. I don't I wouldn't probably have them in the top half, I don't think. And I think that says more about how good. Uh, the SEC is, but the the thing that really stood out to me in in watching the game today against Tennessee was that it didn't look like a Chris Beard team, right? When you think of Chris Beard teams, you think of tough, you think of physical, you think of not making mistakes offensively, you think of teams that are going to execute what they're supposed to execute, and 
there were just like a lot of sloppy turnovers, a lot of defensive possessions where there were mis- miscommunications, where uh, they didn't get coverages right, where people tagging ball screen rollers weren't in the right place. Like Jonas Adu went nuts, and part of the reason he went nuts is because every time he said a ball screen slipped to the rim, he got a lob and he threw down a dunk on somebody's head, right? And I, I just – that to me does not seem like what a Chris Beard defense – would normally look like. And I feel like they have the pieces. Like if you look at this roster and you look at Alan Flanagan, you look at Matthew Morrell, you look at Jamin Brakefield, uh, you look at Brandon Murray now that he's eligible, you have like four or five guys that are big and athletic and switchable and should be able to kind of play those defensive roles. And then you have Moses Cissé and Jamian Sharp, uh, Jamarian Sharp, who are both very good in theory, defensive pieces around the rim. But it just, it didn't work tonight. Um, I'm willing to say that that probably has a lot to do with who was on the other sideline, who was on the other team, and the fact that this was a road game. But I thought that Ole Miss had a chance to be really, really good. Uh, But I was thoroughly unimpressed with this performance tonight. All right. The last team is James Madison that went down out of the Sun Belt. They were undefeated. They lose to, again, Andre Carbello and Southern Miss. Um how many more losses can they afford to take? You know, this is different than FAU last year uh, because FAU, kind of like James Madison, they've beaten one high major. JMU beat Michigan State earlier this year, hell of a win. FAU beat, I believe, Florida at the beginning of last year, but they're in a much tougher league. You know, you had UAB and North Texas that were both top 50-ish teams. There's nobody in the Sun Belt right now, App State, is probably considered the best team, and they're right around 100 right now in Ken Palm. So I, I think James Madison can ill afford another loss, to be honest. I think they got to probably run through this thing and lose in the championship game of the Sun Belt to have any shot of getting at large. As crazy as that sounds, uh, I think that's the reality of the situation, Rob, just because there's not a lot there besides Michigan State. And their league just isn't very good. Not not like, again, last year, FAU um, and Conference USA was much stronger at the top. Yeah, I, I mean, look, if they can get one win against App State, uh, maybe their only loss is at App State, and then they lose to App State in the finals of the Sun Belt Tournament, then we're going to have to have a real conversation about whether or not they are an at-large team. But knowing how these things go and knowing how the road is in league play, they're going to drop another one at some point. It just, it is what it is. Shout out to Andre Corbello, by the way, he got his face split open at one point in the second half today, still finished with 15, nine coming off of a 13, 11, 10 triple double. And in those two games, he's 10 for 36 from the floor. God, I missed Bello. I love that Andre Corbello was back in our lives. Shout out to Andre Corbello, man. Bello is back. Bello is back. All right. Uh, serious story. Uh, happened last night in, in, in Lubbock when the school put out a statement after a civil lawsuit was filed that Papa Isaacs, one of their star players, sexually assaulted a minor during the trip's trip to the Bahamas. Uh, there's an ongoing investigation right now by the school. Isaacs, according to the school, remains in good standing, and there's no reason to withhold him from university activities, the statement read. Uh, I honestly didn't report about the situation prior to yesterday because – I've learned over the years, I, I just don't like talking about allegations. I don't. Until there are charges, I, I'm not going to go there. And uh, the school put out the statement after an ESPN report, which allows us or forces us to talk about this situation now. But again, I, I've learned my lesson years and years ago. 
by putting out something about uh, allegations instead of charges. And later on, uh, the, the players were cleared. So, I, again, now Texas Tech today went on the road. Pop Isaacs played and played very well. He had 21 points, and they had probably as big a road win as anybody had today. They beat their in-state rival, Texas, who was favored in the game. Uh, I didn't think Texas Tech was going to be able to, with the off-court distractions that were going on right now with the program, uh, have that type of performance. Rob, how impressive was this performance by Texas Tech, and how how real do we have to take this team right now after going into Texas to Austin into a fairly new building and and beating them pretty not handily, but they they beat them. They beat them. I guess how real you have to take. Texas Tech depends on how real you think this Texas team actually is. Because if you look at the rest of Texas Tech's resume, there is not a lot of meat on that bone. They beat Michigan on a neutral, who I still think has a chance to be the second-best team in the Big Ten, but that probably is going to be a take that dies on a very certain hill. They lost (laughs) to Villanova by 16. They lost to Butler in overtime on the road, uh, and that is pretty much all they have. So – If we are going to say that Texas Tech is proving how good they are by going and winning at Texas, then we're also saying that we think Texas is a very good team. And I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to say that about Texas yet, but um, I I will – this is – Jarrell, I'll leave you with this. Grant McCaslin has proven the ability to win everywhere that he goes. Every level that he's at, every program that he's at, every team that he's been with, he's found a way to be able to be successful and to win basketball games. So it's not surprising to me that Texas Tech is sitting here at 12-2. and two. It's not surprising to me that a backcourt of Pop-Up Isaacs and Joe Toussaint are playing basketball at the level that they played at today. It's not surprising to me that with some of the pieces that – um, that are on this roster specifically, like a Darian Williams, a Chance McMillan, who was really good tonight, a Warren Washington, who's been good. Um, it makes sense that they're winning games. I think that they are; they have a chance to be good. I think they put themselves in a position to be able to make a run at an at-large bid in conference play. But before I sit here and say, um, I think that this is a team that is back to being like what they were at the peak of the Chris Beard era, what they were the first year under oh, Mark Adams. Right. I need we to see them see. like I need to see them do more. Like they got Oklahoma State at home, they got Kansas State at home. You get to three and zero, and then you get uh, Houston on the road, BYU at home, Oklahoma on the road, TCU on the road. Like that four game stretch. If you split there. Okay, then we're going to have a very real conversation about Texas Tech. Right now, I just think that they're in a position to be able to make a run when you get to conference play. Does that make sense, Drew? Yeah, for sure. And I'm and I'm spot on with you. Uh, instead of double trouble, this this game was sort of like bubble trouble to me. These are two teams that are going to be firmly planted on the bubble uh, coming here up in a couple of weeks. And to be honest with you, one of them is probably going to fall off of the bubble. Uh, before the conference tournament, and, and one of these teams will be saying needs to probably win it all to try to get in. But uh, to be honest with you, because I'm not very, I'm not sold on Texas at all, uh, and I've seen them a couple times this year, uh, specifically the game that they played at Marquette, and uh, they they just don't have a whole lot this year. Texas Tech, a couple times I've seen them, they weren't great offensively, uh, but they had guys that played hard. But for both teams right now, I think the cover's a little bit bare, and I think they'll both be fighting. But like you said, uh, with the con- Conference that they're in, they'll have their opportunities. They'll get their shots. But these are two teams that are for sure headed for the bubble. 
before we get to the other big road wins today, and there were a couple other big boy road wins, I want to tell you a little bit about the fielding of 68. And that's our bracket show that's going to start here in a couple of weeks. Go ahead, Rob. What did, what did I do, Rob? What? <laughs> you said the name of the show wrong. The show was, the show what, what, was Fielding what, what, the 68. Fielding the 68. What did I say? Of 68. The fielding <laughs> of 68. <laughs> fielding the 68. Sorry. Sorry. I've had a long day here <coughs> driving from Charleston to Clemson. Now Rob's going to rip at me that I got the show name wrong. Fielding the 68. And it's coming up in about two weeks later this month. Every Monday and Friday, we have the only bracketology show that's multiple multiple times a week starting later this month okay so forget about espn and some of these other places lenardi some of these other guys we got the real bracketologists on our show monday fridays 5 30 to 6 30 eastern we got the best guys on this uh we're gonna can i promote Kevin the Sweeney roster hosting. that we have can i promote the you roster can. we have you can lucas sure. harkins lucas harkins one of the best andy bottoms one of the best. Brad Wachtel, one of the best. Rocco Miller, one of the best. And there's a special nice. bracketologist yeah, that is going to be involved. I don't think we can give the name away yet. We got we to keep at least one name quiet, right? It's a big name, we can Jeff. Do that. We can do that. It's a big name. We'll keep yeah, that and, name and quiet. Shout out. Also, shout out to Lucas Harkins and his wife for helping out. Uh, my daughter, Talia, last night, her phone died or broke at the end of uh, the UConn-Butler game. And uh, Lucas's wife somehow brought it back to life. So uh, thank you very much to the Harkins family so that Talia didn't have to drive back to Bloomington without a phone. Uh, anyway, back to the task at hand. Big road wins. All right, the Johnnies, Rick Patino. you know, preseason top 25, then they struggle a little bit. Well, they go to Villanova and they get a big one, a big one here. And they did it without Chris Ledlam. Um, Auburn goes to Fayetteville and blasts the must bus. This one was as shocking as any game today for me. I thought for sure Auburn was going to go in there and get smacked. And instead, they did the smacking. And Arkansas is talented, and they got Menafield back recently. Brazil super talented. They got a lot, a lot of good players. But what the hell is wrong with Arkansas, Rob? Uh, they they quit in that game. You could see that they just kind of gave up when they, the lead got to about 10, 12 early in the second half, and you could just see the heads go like this. And there was one point where Devo Davis got a technical foul for uh, for pushing um, – I forget who it was. It was uh, Chad Baker-Mazzara, and he goes to the bench, and he puts on his warm-ups, and he goes and sits directly behind the bench. And uh, we know that must – coaches hard and sometimes it takes a while for that chemistry to develop the chemistry has not developed with that Arkansas team uh quite yet and uh I have no reason but to believe that they will eventually get there we've had the same conversation last season about Arkansas and then it came together and then they beat uh Kansas in the second round of the NCAA tournament had the same conversation the two years before that and they made the elite eight both years so Arkansas will figure it out at some point that's just what must does but uh, they, right now they're in the bad stuff we had, it's yeah, I mean, I'm assuming late. so. I'm assuming so. No, that they I, I think this year, no. I think this year it's going to be too late, Rob. I do. I, I, I don't think you can keep doing this. You're playing with fire. It's worked no, out. Yeah. But I don't think you can keep digging yourself a hole. In this year's SEC, I don't know if they can reel off exactly. six straight like they've done 
the last couple of years in January or February to be able to do this. I don't think there's many easy wins in this league to be able to reel off that type of run. I got I got a hot take though, and I want your opinion on this, Jarrell. I think that this said entirely more about how good Auburn is than anything to have to do with Arkansas. Auburn's legit, man. Like I, I'm all the way in. I know that they lost at App State and some people jumped off the bandwagon. Well, look, there's space, man. Jump back on. Let's go. This Auburn Tigers team is tough. They are good. They have really good guards. Aiden Holloway's a perfect fit. Janai Broom is making it all work. Jalen Williams has been really good. Chad Baker Mazzaro is coming off the bench and doing things like this is this is a Bruce Pearl team, and they could play, man. Give them credit. Yep, I'm with you on that, and I've been high on Auburn all year since that first game. I got a chance to watch them against Baylor. Uh, I said they were going to be a lot better than people thought and uh, or kind of gave them credit for it, man, and they, and they showed up and showed out tonight. But, uh, I mean, just like you said, I think, man, the, the must bus is running on E right now. Uh, it's got a flat tire. Whatever you want to say about it, man. I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to drag this one over the finish line, man. They really struggled tonight. And like you said, they quit. They got it close. Uh, Minifield made a couple threes and kind of got them back in the game a little bit there and then hoisted up a couple bad ones, uh, early ones in the shot clock. And like you said, you just see the heads dropping. You see the body language. Guys not sprinting back on defense and just giving up easy dunks. And Janai Broom just pretty much got whatever he wanted, man. And to be honest, I didn't think Auburn just played great offensively. So it was just – it was kind of sad to see, especially on your home floor, man. To get smacked like that at home, uh, and from what you guys tell me, it's probably one of the best – one of the best uh, college basketball environments in the nation, man. Uh, that's going to be a tough loss. So they're going to do some soul searching and try to bounce back from this one. All right, St. John's Villanova. Who does this one say more about, Rob? You feel good about St. John's now, or you continue to be like, what the hell is going on with Nova? The Johnnies, man. Look, I I knew that this was going to be a very, very bad matchup for Villanova for a couple of reasons. One, St. John's ball pressure, the way that they they guard. uh, For for the people that don't know, what Rick Pitino basically does is he plays this like 2-2-1 zone press that basically he's not trying to turn you over. He's trying to make you take eight seconds to get over half court. And then they drop back, and you got to figure out what defense he's in. Sometimes it's a 2-3. Sometimes it's a matchup zone. Sometimes it's a zone on one side of the court, man on the other side of the court. Sometimes it's a zone that turns into man. Sometimes it's just man. Sometimes he's switching everything. So the whole defense is designed to make you be confused about what they're doing more or less. And Villanova's point guard is hurt, and they don't even really have a point guard, right? And we've seen what they do against zone. We've seen how they handle ball pressure. To me, this was everything to do with the matchup, everything to do with the fact that Rick Pitino was one of the best, and everything to do with the fact that, hey, you know what? You were right about St. John's, Goodman. You should not have. You had that hot take at the start of the season. You should have stuck with it. You got scared. They lost a game or two early on in the season to Utah, to teams that you you didn't think were good, but actually ended up being pretty good. And you know what? They're here. They're good. R.J. Lewis is a stud. Joel Soriano is a big guy down there. Those mid-major guards have transferred up, and they're starting to have an impact. Rick Pitino's figured out what he's got. I'm in on the Johnnies. I think they're a tournament team. I think this said everything about his coaching ability and how good St. John's is right now in this moment. I'm on them. I'm in on them. Yeah, I'm in on them too. All right, Jarrell, I I got something before we we sign off for the night here. Uh, I got something that's a little bit off the beaten path here. Uh, the best player in the NBA, I guess you could say, maybe he's not the best today, but LeBron James made a comment 
about his son, Bronny James, today. And uh, it was before Bronny's game in which he scored two points in 20 minutes and had one assist and was 0 for 4 from the field. He said, quote, he can play for us right now, meaning the Lakers. Easy. Easy. What the hell is that? Like, I love LeBron. <laughs> I love LeBron. I do. I love him. And I feel bad criticizing him in this one. But sometimes, here's what I'll say, and I've seen it with other uh, coaches, fathers. They're very realistic. But about their own kids, they are not realistic at all. And I think that's where we are right now with, with LeBron James and Bronny. Uh, well, you're 100% spot on, and I see it constantly, uh, especially just being an, a guy who coaches and deals with athletes and parents, I'll say, on a regular basis. And a lot of time, that's a big issue is that most people have the parent blinders, is what I call them. The, you know, they're the blinders for, you know, when it comes to pertaining to, the, to their own kid or their own child. And uh, just to start off with a, a complete disclaimer, I love Bronny. I think he's a super talented kid, great kid. And uh, I think sky's the limit for him. But for LeBron to say that uh, is, is complete BS, number one. Uh, it's, it's disrespectful to other NBA guys, I feel like. It's kind of disrespectful to a ton of his teammates that he's playing with currently. And on the flip side of it, I'll say this. That usually means some guys are probably going to be on the chopping block, and it's probably about to be some moves made in, in LA, whether it be coaches or players. Shit, somebody's got to go. Once Bron starts saying off the wall stuff like that, you know what time it is. And I know he's pumping the kid up, but come on, man. Anybody that's truly involved in this game and watching, it's not to say that he won't develop and he won't have his opportunity, but right now, He's he's not he's not at that level. He's not an NBA player and a guy I could throw Bronny out there. I mean, I'm sure he probably thinks he, he maybe he thinks he could. Maybe he thinks he could get him to sit in the corner and he'll make some some more shots than some of the guys that's on his team. That's what I take away from it at least. Well, Goodman, can I just make one point real quick? The Lakers have lost four in a row. They've lost five of their last six. They have lost nine of their last eleven games. I think Bronny's trying to make, a, or I think LeBron is trying to make a point there. <laughs> yeah, I Somebody think he is too. And I think the other point he's trying to make with this comment is that he's going to push Bronny to the NBA after this year, no matter what. And and that's scary to me. That that to me is just not doing your son uh, justice. Let him run his own race again when he's ready. Hopefully, you're still playing in the NBA. That that guy might play till he's forty five at this point. He might outlast what Tom Brady did in the <laughs> NFL. Uh, so I, I I think again, listen, the kid had two points in twenty minutes tonight, and I'm with you, Jarrell. I love Bron. I think he's going to be a really good college player in time. Don't rush it. Don't say crazy shit like this, LeBron. It, it just it doesn't help your son. It doesn't help the Lakers. It, it doesn't help anybody. All right, I'm Jeff Goodman. Thanks to Rob Doster. Oh, no, good man. We got Arizona. Oh, we're doing, oh, we're doing our – no, we're not doing Arizona. We're <laughs> Arizona doing, not, Come no. on, pay attention, Jeff. Arizona beat the hell out of Utah. Dagan's telling me we got to wrap soon. He's telling me the show's over. <laughs> All right. We're going to do – no. We're just going to do our toast. We're going to do our toast. We're doing our toast. Rob, do you want to start with your toast of the night? 
Uh, yeah, my toast of the night is going to go to Utah State. It's going to go to Danny Sprinkle. Uh, they were 13-1 and one heading into tonight's game against number 13, Colorado State, who walked into Logan, walked into the spectrum, and left with a loss. Utah State won 77-72. to 72. Great Osabor, who has one of the best names in the sport, finished with 20 points, 14 boards, 3 assists. That is a good basketball team. They were 13-1 and one before. Uh, people were questioning whether or not that team was for real. And I think it is definitive. They are for real. They just beat the team uh, that was the highest ranked team in the Mountain West. Cheers. Danny Sprinkle, Utah State. Go Aggies. It's nice to see him good again. Cheers. Jarrell? Yep, and I'm going off script a little bit with this one. I'm going to go with the kid I've been a fan of for the last couple years now, and I'm actually just seeing him kind of turn the corner here. Zakai Ziegler from Tennessee. Uh, I think he, I I think with every passing games, and I know he's coming off of that injury, and usually it takes really close to two years for guys to start feeling kind of normal coming off a major knee injury like that. Uh, but man, every passing game he's getting better and better, better and better, and they just manhandle uh, Ole Miss tonight. And it was a game that Dalton Connect didn't exactly play great. Uh, I'm not sure if he finished the game or what it was foul trouble because I didn't see the entire thing, but. Uh, Zakai Ziegler was great, man. He finished with a double-double. Uh, he led the team in assists, 17 points, 10 assists, five rebounds. He gives them a different element and a different dimension uh, just with because he's an absolute blur with the ball in his hands. He can play make for others, and he can score the ball at a high clip. So if he gets it going, it gives them an added dimension on offense. Look out for the Vols late in March. There you go. I'll toast to that. All right. All right, my toast – goes to that team from South Orange, Shaheen Holloway, and that team say from South name. Orange. I'm not going to say the name, but Shaw, man, listen, what he's done, again, I mean, you're beating three big boys, right? I mean, you beat UConn, you beat Providence, now you take down Marquette. You put yourself now in the equation where three weeks ago, you would have been fortunate just to be talked about as an NIT team. Now you're in the equation right now for an NCAA tournament berth. With those three resume wins, I don't know too many teams that can put those three resume wins up. So uh, to Shaw, to Seton Hall, to all their dudes that honestly just play harder than most other teams, uh, (laughs) South Orange to South Orange. All right. Thanks for joining us. The show is now over. Dagan, Rob, cannot (laughs) jump in. It's over after dark. Thanks for joining us Saturday night. I'm Jeff Goodman for Rob Doster, for Jarrell McNeil, for Dagan Hughes, for Trevor Valise, for everybody else who might have helped tonight. Uh, get me through it with Doster. I appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.